This episode is brought to you by MMR Live. Creative briefs, KPIs, brand strategy. Are you really capturing the impacts of your brand experience with the people you're trying to reach? Chances are you're not. With the help of MMR Live, an experienced strategy agency, you can actually operationalize what your creative brief sets out to do. Visit MMR.live to learn how to add KEIs to your KPIs to maximize your key emotional impacts, improve every brand experience, and earn a greater share of wallet. I'm Priscilla McKinney, host of Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. Today, my guest is David Paul. He's the CEO of Dial Smith and Engages, but more importantly, he's a coffee lover. We have so much in common. We're both podcasters. He does like whiskey, and he will walk an awfully long way to get the perfect New York bagel or slice of pizza. So this is my kind of guy. David is someone who likes to turn convention on its head. So you'll see that we're pretty like-minded. But he took a market research technology traditionally used in political and focus group research, and he actually morphed it into real-time scoring system for action sports. So he really knows the magic that comes from the unexpected, and his job is to get audiences thinking about new and creative ways to solve their problems. He has helped CNN, Food Network, MTV, NBC, Google, Facebook, ABC, Amazon, so many more. You're going to hear it in this conversation. He leads this communication and research consultancy to craft, test, and refine content that really resonates and in the end, engages. I know you're going to love this conversation with David Paul. Dave, thanks so much for being on my show, podcaster to podcaster, here we are. I know, it's my pleasure. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Well, it's really cool, but I'm going to get to the nitty-gritty real fast because you have worked with some amazing names from TED to CNN, Google, Amazon, and I know you are not a name dropper, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. That's just kind of not your way, but I would like for my listeners to hear, you know, those those are these big names up there, but my listeners would love to hear, but what is it like? you know, to work with some of those? What what have been some of your experiences around some of the big names? Uh, that's, that's a really good question. Um, it is, um, it's incredibly humbling every time the phone rings or we get an email and it's from a company that we admire or that we aspire to work with. You you mentioned TED, and um, it's funny because TED happened pretty early in uh, in the Dialsmith days. What my my, my my one of my companies, Dialsmith, and uh, there were just four of us at the time. And we got an email in from someone who worked uh, at TED and he worked directly for Chris Anderson. And they were interested in talking with us about incorporating some dial testing into something that they're doing. And I told everyone else in the office about it. And we literally stood up and did a happy dance. Like this could be, <laughs> you know, this is one of those moments. TED comes calling. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, so, so we've been really fortunate. And it's interesting, you know, at the end of the day, Big companies are made up of many, many small units, and each small unit operates like a small company. So 
earlier on in my career, I would think that working with a big company was going to be this big daunting thing and impossible to do and they'd be all disorganized and how are we going to get anything done? And what I really find is that we end up working with a microcosm within a big company and each one of them operates as their own unit and they have all of the processes built in that you would expect them to have. So we've had some really great experiences, even with some of these big organizations where they come to us with a very clear issue and they know what needs to be solved and we're able to step in and help them make a difference in how their unit performs so that they can then serve the whole. I love that. That's such great insight about the reality of, of how they're structured. And we know that to be true. You know, we experience with people over here is marketing at siloed over here is, is you know, sales over here. Is the, But the reality is there really are separate um, entities working towards very specific goals. So you said that they have clear issues. They have clear problems. Let's talk before I talk about your solutions and what mm-hmm. you're absolutely an expert about. Let's talk about what are those problems your ideal client is facing. Where are they stuck? What problems present? What, mm-hmm. what, when you hear, oh, we need X, Y, Z, you're, you're lighting up thinking, oh, wow, we, we solved that. What, what's the first things that come out of their mouth when, when they start talking with you and you know you've got, you know, uh, you've got a problem presented that you can start working with? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you're leading off with their problems because that's what I'd much rather talk about. <laughs> it's what's far more important than uh, than what we do. Um, so, I so I have two different companies that both blend together really well. So there's the dial smith side of the business, which is our dial testing work, and I, I can talk a little bit about those problems. And then on the engage side, it's more of a messaging and positioning consultancy. And so the problems that normally come our way. Uh, is when an organization needs to communicate something in a way that's going to be persuasive or influential. So they either need to get people to buy their product or service, or they need to get them to vote for their candidate or measure, or they need to get them to donate money to their nonprofit or support their cause. And so there's always this this end goal in mind, and they know what that is. And what they struggle with is how do they reverse engineer that and build all the steps leading up to it that's going to allow them to then put that out into the market so that the market will respond the way they need the market to respond. So they they know where point A is, which is where they are at the moment, and they know where point Q is, which is where they have to get. <laughs> and it's how do they fill in all of those other pieces in a way that's going to move the market along in an organized, concerted way where they're not going to leapfrog critical steps, but everything's going to build upon itself. Well, that's interesting. You bring up already a process and some steps. So tell me about, you know, what these clients are looking for. They, they know they want to go from A to Q, but mm-hmm. but they, you know, have they tried to run to Q before? <laughs> do they have kind? Do they come in and say, well, OK, we've tried this. These things kind of work like t- tell us a little bit about that conversation. Like, do you come in and say, OK, this is our system from A to Q. Um, and then if things go really well, then that's how we get to Z, <laughs> you know. But right. so what, what does that conversation sound like about when you start talking about processes? Yeah, so we certainly have systems and processes that we 
use, but I, I never lead with those. Mm-hmm. I always lead with what's the problem that needs to be solved. Cause I don't want to be presumptive that a, I'm even the one to solve it. There are times when I will very honestly tell potential clients that I'm not the best one to solve this problem. And uh, there's no way I'm going to take your money, but I'm going to hook you up with somebody who can, who can really address that. I try not to do it too often because we do have bills to pay. Right. Um, but from time to time, you know, that, that has to happen. But really what we're, what we're looking to do is, you know, let, let's say that we're talking with a client who uh, maybe they've released a product into the market and it's just not delivering at the level that they want it to be delivering. So, you know, we know that the goal there is to increase sales, which sounds simplistic, but it's, it's really, uh, it may be simple, but it's certainly not an easy thing to do. Um, so we'll, we'll then work backwards from there and we'll look at all of the positioning and messaging and communications that's happening around putting that product or service into the market and there's always a research component to our work where because we're not so presumptive to think that we have all the right answers. Uh, my wife will be the first one to tell you that I almost never have the right answers. <laughs> On the other um, hand, my... David, I'm not interviewing her. So you get to tell me your answers. <laughs> OK, I, 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 uh, I don't often always have the right answers. I'm, I'm the first one to make a mistake, but I'm smart enough to learn from it. So right. I'll give myself credit for that. Um, but there's always a research component to the work because we want to hypothesize what we think is going to work. And that's very collaborative between us and our clients because they have all of this institutional knowledge that we don't have. But we're able to look at it from a fresh perspective and figure out where they might be seeing things a little bit skewed. And then we test those hypotheses with the market and we make sure that we're headed in the right direction. And that might be very early on with testing strategy, or that might be a little bit further on where we're actually testing messaging and communications and getting down to nitty gritty words and phrases and things like that. And the end goal is to then ultimately have a process in place where they can go from whatever this product or service is that they need to drive sales for. And they have a, they have a plan for exactly how they're going to communicate it, um, when, to whom, through what channels, through what mediums. And then that's a roadmap that they can stay true to. And then the beauty of it is the ROI is often very clear. Either they deploy it and sales go up or or donations come in or or votes go up or they don't and um you know there's often an iterative process where we're then learning from phase one and we're tweaking a little bit and we're retesting and a lot of a b testing going on but we we just try to make it really collaborative and iterative and we always try to make sure that the market has a voice early on in the process so that we don't put things out there in the world and then they don't work and we're like well you know, we have no idea why that didn't happen. <laughs> well, okay, you talk about this a lot, about the sense of tapping into the voice of one's customers. So let's talk a little bit about that because you've said, hey, here are the problems that present that we, you know, we love to hear these problems because we know we, we, we've we got the start of something. But you very quickly bring people into this very much this um, – uh, um, methodology and also your mindset that we must tap into the con- the voice of the customer. Tell us more about that and specifically 
you know, what has gone wrong for some of these companies when they have just gone out on a limb, like you said, and assumed that they were right, and they have not tested, they have not come back and and tapped into the voice of the customer. Let, let, let's talk about that in general. Yeah, I mean, more often than not, unfortunately, we see lack of success when when the customer is not taken into account early on. And it's a mindset that always leaves me scratching my head because every organization that we work with is in the business of selling something. Mm -hmm. And that something is being sold to people. (laughs) So the notion of trying to sell something to people without testing and understanding what do those people want and why, and are they going to be more interested in it if we position it to them this way, or will they be more interested if we position it that way? And it often really does come down to positioning. We don't, you know, we're not a product development shop. I don't, I don't try to develop new products for clients. You come to me with what you got. Um, and hopefully you've done some research on that and you know the market actually wants it. If not, we've got a bigger problem. But then when it comes to how are we going to sell it and position it, that's what's so critically important to to listen to customers. So mm-hmm. whether we're deploying something qualitative like focus groups or or in-depth interviews or whether we're putting out a survey, what's interesting about our work when we incorporate research is – ultimately we're in the why business. Why do people believe what they believe, behave the way they behave, want what they want? And a lot of research is often more geared toward answering what. So for us, phase one is always about understanding what do people think? What do people want? What are people likely to do? And then we always incorporate another layer where we can then peel back and understand why. Mm -hmm. And that might be starting with a survey and then following up with some in-depth interviews. Or we even have this process where we deploy two surveys. We'll do one to a larger audience. We'll analyze those results. And then we'll put put out a follow-up survey to a smaller subset of that audience. But we'll ask them to go much deeper, specifically asking them specific questions related to how things were answered the first time around. Because if we can't tell our clients why, then A, they have no reason to believe us and we have no reason to believe that that we're right. Right. So (laughs) the the voice of the customer is critically important to telling us what they think, what they want, what they're likely to do, but then even more importantly is why so that we can then engineer something specifically for them. Right. And I love how you're talking about we have to really, you know, uh, understand the subconscious of what's happening, the system one thinking that people are employing that they're not even aware of. And I think what that really points to is what you said at the beginning about being an iterative solution is that we don't know exactly what this endpoint is, but I'll tell you what, we're going to go through a process. And every time we get another piece to the puzzle, we're going to come back up and incorporate that. And that that is a very humble way to do business. And it also is a very effective way to do business mm-hmm. and not waste people's money. So I love that, that, that the way of staying uh, customer centric is by really being committed to the iterative process and letting the consumer guide you where you're going so that you can quickly move from the what to the why and provide that that really deep value for your 
for your the companies who are really interested in knowing like they really it's not just you know it's not just talk they really want to know what the consumers thinking yeah absolutely and at the end of the day the market decides you don't you don't decide the client doesn't decide we don't decide the market decides whatever it is that the the market does whether it's a a patient that's going to choose to visit your medical office you might not think of them as a true customer but in my mind they're a customer they're giving you their business um, or buying a product or subscribing to a service all that matters is what the market wants and what the market will do. So any process of marketing or selling to the market without including the market in that process just doesn't make sense to me. And that's where we see people fall down and those who embrace that concept and make the market, make the customer really the central um, the hub of all of the marketing and sales spokes that they then that they then embark upon are the ones who are most successful. Right. Let me take this a little further. I'm kind of interested what you think of this conundrum that I face. You know, I have a lot of clients who come to me and talk to me about, oh, well, for example, I, I'm thinking of one in particular. I had a country club many years ago come to me. And they're like, well, we need to know what the other golf clubs, the other, you know, tennis clubs, the other, you know, all these kinds of things in the area are doing what they offer. And I was just like, well, that's not your competition. You know, like at what point are we going to talk about, you know, what is your competition? They're like, what is? I'm like a luxury vehicle or a vacation. You know, so Expedia is your, your, you know, your competition because you're competing Mm -hmm. for, um, you know, expendable, you know, um, money in a family budget. Mm -hmm. Am I going to purchase a country club membership that's going to cost me, you know, X number of dollars a month, which is probably pretty equal to me getting a, a luxury vehicle or me taking my family on one vacation a year? Do I want that luxury every day? And this kind of thing of not listening to the customer, not understanding, well, instead of you come and you ask them, do you like our club? or this club better? I was like, well, I can give you that answer, which I bet (laughs) they like you better. But that doesn't mean they're going to buy you. (laughs) Right. So I I, I hear that's kind of what you said with these other things. Tell me how... You know, how how that fits in that mindset that you guys see problems in in a a different way like that. Why do you think people are so resistant to hearing those truths? I think they're resistant because it's um, it it feeds itself into a very uh, abstract concept, which is that of aspirational selling. And you hit the nail on the head. Most people would never think that making the decision to join a country club is a trade-off decision with a luxury car or vacation. Um, They would think that it's, well, are we going to join this club or that club? Are we going to join this expensive club or that inexpensive gym on the corner? Mm -hmm. But what that country club is selling is they're selling aspiration. They're selling what people aspire to be what they envision for themselves, what the promised land is for them. Because otherwise, you can join the gym on the corner for, corner for $19.99 a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can get yourself some elastic bands and a couple of, uh, you know, stream a couple of exercise <laughs> videos in your home. And you'll, you'll get most of the way there. Exercise is exercise. Um, so, so much of what we focus on is tapping into the the aspirational needs of people and also acknowledging that humans are incredibly irrational. So when you talk about system one, so much of our work is rooted in behavioral science and social psychology and understanding 
the the flaws in the human mind and the way people make decision and all of the non-conscious cognitive biases that we employ in every decision that we make that we have no idea we're doing hundreds of times a day. When you're in our line of work, yours and mine, and I imagine most of the listeners here, it's really understanding that that humans are irrational, but humans are also aspirational. And if you can acknowledge <laughs> both of those and tailor the way you communicate with them and serve them and create content for them and build products for them, you're really going to be speaking their language, but they're never going to tell you that because they, they frankly have, they have no, they're not cognizant of that. They're not aware of that themselves. Oh, that's that's totally true. Okay, we could talk about this forever. I want to talk a little bit about your podcast. So it engages. You started this podcast, and uh, and and what I'd love to hear is kind of why did you start it, and what has been the most surprising thing that you received that you you didn't you didn't expect you'd get from from starting this podcast. That's a good question. Oh, and so, P.S. People, go check out his podcast and subscribe. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so we started the podcast when we started Engage Us about a year and a half ago. Um, and we're about 30 episodes in now. And the reason we started it is because we're firm believers in the value of content marketing, especially for B2B research. We want to deliver value through content. So I started it for mostly unselfish reasons, but I also started it for a slightly selfish reason as well. The unselfish reasons were that I wanted to learn from others in the market how to do what it is that I do better. And the theme of the podcast is audience engagement, but we very specifically do not talk to people who only work in the marketing and communications and market research space. We deliberately go outside the bubble and look for those who are masters at engaging audiences from different disciplines. So I've talked with comedians and I've talked with master illusionists who do the most incredible magic tricks on stage. And I've talked with entertainers and I've talked with real estate agents. And what they all have in common is they all have to captivate and engage an audience in order to move them in a certain direction. And it's the same reason I attend as many conferences outside of my vertical space as I do within my industry, because I want to take those learnings and inspirations from outside the bubble. So it's not just the same people talking to each other right. all the time. Yeah. So that was the unselfish reason, the slightly selfish reason. And I would say to anyone who, uh, who, who has the same aspiration is very often there are certain types of people that I want to be able to reach out to and enticed to engage with me in some way. And that's often a very difficult thing to do, but giving them an opportunity to be on a podcast and getting a chance to talk with them somewhat intimately, just the two of us over a couple of microphones is a great way to kind of bond and engage with someone new. So it also plays a strategic role in my business and, and occasionally I will, you know, I'll use it to that benefit. But um, it's an experiment. We've been doing it for about a year and a half now. Um, I'm already thinking about how to morph it and riff on it a little bit and, and, and 
we try to think a little bit like a content studio and, and what kinds of shows can we create that are going to be of interest to people. So I don't see us doing hundreds and hundreds of exactly the same thing, but right. um, it's, it's been a great learning experience and a lot of fun. Oh, I could not agree with you more. It's it, the, the, Nobody gets as much value out of it than I do. <laughs> you, you just talk with the most intriguing people and you get to decide what we're talking about. It's so, it, it, it is so wonderful, but I, I totally get with you the balance between there's really selfish things about it and really unselfish things. We do want to be about solving problems and helping people see, you know, solutions they maybe didn't consider, um, you know, but it is a part of this humanizing aspect in in the podcast medium that I really love. I mean, it is intimate. That's the word you chose. And I, I couldn't agree more to that. So, so I want to kind of go a little deeper. Tell me about, um, you know, a great interview that you had, somebody you, you know, that, that is memorable to you in some way. Tell us some kind of story because you do focus on storytelling. So I want a little bit of your story. Mm-hmm. I do focus on storytelling. Um, so they've really, they've all been great conversations for one reason or another, but to your point, some certainly stand out. Um, the, the one that stands out for a wonderful reason is I recently had the good fortune to interview Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, um, for my podcast. Now there's going to be some people listening who absolutely know him and their ears just perked up and they follow all of his stuff. There's going to be an equally large, if not larger percentage of people who have absolutely no idea who he is. And I kind of love that. He tends to love it too, because, you know, people who follow him think he's a big shot and, and often he acts like a big shot. But the truth is he very much lives in his own bubble, but he's an entrepreneur, social media expert, um, larger than life kind of character. And in, and in my world, uh, you know, a pretty challenging guy to get to. So it took us about six months of really diligent work to try to finagle our way to get to sit down for 30 minutes with someone who, you know, works from 7am to 10pm, literally every single day. And we managed to score it uh, after a lot of back and forth. And my goal was to make sure that we did it in his office. Because for those who follow him, his office is kind of iconic. Um, So I didn't just want to do an audio podcast with just his voice. I really wanted to get into his office. So uh, long story short, we got the we got the agreement to do the interview. I was able to schedule it over spring break week. So I was able to have my son with me, who's also a production assistant for our company, but he's only 16. So that's his part time (laughs) job. And, you know, he likes a lot of stuff that dad likes. So he's he knows who Gary Vee is. And it was really exciting for him. But then when we got there, they were so nice and so generous. They they got us in early. They had set up their own audiovisual crew to record it for Gary's purposes. So there was great audio in the room, great video. I had brought my own audio and video. So we were so overly tricked out <laughs> in this little 15 by 15 office. There were literally five cameras rolling in that room. Um, so when I was able to edit it together, I had more footage to work with than I could have possibly imagined. And he delivered exactly what it was that I was hoping I could get from him Mm -hmm. with regards to how to engage an audience, how to craft content, especially for B2B, um, what social media channels are best for distribution for B2B purposes and which ones to really just not spend your time on because you're just not going to get the return. Um, and it was, uh, it was a really great 
I'm 22 minutes. And then he looked at his phone and he's like, I got to go to the next thing. See ya. Mm-hmm. Um, but he stopped for selfies before he left. And it was, it was a great experience all around. Uh, it made for a, a great episode and, and people really seem to like it. Well, that, that is like the pinnacle. I'm really jealous <laughs> to be honest. He, he makes me nervous. You know, other people say that I make them nervous with my amount of energy and things like that. But let me just tell you, he's off the charts. Makes me very, very nervous, you know, and in that like, uncomfortable good way but oh my gosh if if, i don't next time someone ever says to me oh my gosh you're just a ball of energy you're always going you're out i'm like no there's a gary v scale that's just that's not even not even close to where i live (laughs) yeah well i'll tell you even a little bit of backstory when we were we were seated and one of his assistants brought him into the room and he walked into the room and he was staring at his phone he's on his phone all day long basically running his company from his phone Mm -hmm. and he sat down in his chair and he plugged in his phone and and he still hadn't looked up. Um, he was, you know, going through his phone and doing whatever. And he's like, okay, uh, you know, let's go. And I, as the interviewer, I, 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 I thought to myself, well, I can't just start asking him questions if we're not even looking at each other yet. And so he looked up after a couple seconds. He's like, really, let, let's go. You know, we, we only have a little bit of time here. He's like, don't worry about me doing this. I, I can do 10 things at the same time. Um, <laughs> and so we started that way. And I, you know, I asked him a question a little uncomfortably at first. Right. And, and he popped his head up and he answered it. And he, he wasn't being rude. It really is his way. And mm-hmm. he's so ridiculously busy. Mm-hmm. But what was gratifying to me is after we got through the first couple of questions, maybe he realized, oh, this, you know, th- this guy's asking me some legitimate questions. I made a point to not ask the same stuff that everybody else asks him. Right. And then we had a really good solid 15 minutes or so where he was 100% present and um, and we had a few good laughs and, and fully engaged. So right. I think a lot of times when you walk into a room, whether it's to host a podcast or you're making a sales call or you're going to a cocktail party, it you know, people's guards are up like, oh, no, here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's another interview. I'm going to get asked the same thing or it's another sales call. <laughs> they're going to push me for the same thing. And, and when you can go in really thinking about the other person and what are they interested in, what do they want to talk about, how do they bring value to the world, that changes everything on a dime. Mm-hmm. And conversations in, in any circle can, can shift based on that. So I think that's just so critically important, whatever your motivation is, whether it's an interview or a sales call or anything like right. that, is to really just be empathetic to what, you know, what, what's it like to be in this person's shoes and what are, what's going to make them get the most from this experience so that therefore I will get the most from this right. experience. So beside the, you know, the learning that your, you, you know, your listeners get, what's something that you've learned from doing your podcast? That is an excellent question. Um, you know, you and I talk a lot about let's just get real. Let's pull the curtain back. Let's, yeah, you yeah, know, no, bam, here it is. Here's the truth. It's, it's an excellent question. Uh, honestly, I've le- what I've learned are, are more tactical things. So I'll, I'll just be honest about that. I have learned that, you know, that the, uh, the idiom that, that you, that, you know, you get better with experience and practice makes perfect. I have never had that be more true <laughs> than with this. The first podcast I did was 
in my opinion, people are kind to me and they tell me it's not so bad. I think it was just horrendous. Um, I did not know what I was doing. Interviewing someone is a lot different than just having a conversation. And um, it really is amazing how the more you do something, the more comfortable you become with it. And you, your brain gets rewired in a way that when you hear people say something, you're not so caught up in what's the next thing I plan to ask them, right. but you're really taking care from what you're hearing. And then you're like, Oh, forget that other thing I was going to ask. This is way more interesting. Let's pull at this thread for a while. Right. And that, that took some practice. Uh, and I'm still, I'm, I have, you know, a ton to learn. And it's funny cause I'll listen, I edit my own shows, so I'll listen to them back. And every single time I'll say to myself, Oh, why'd you say that? Or why did you make that noise with your mouth? Or, you know, you repeat this same phrase over and over and over again. And I'll say this, I talk to myself, I'll say, Dave, you are, you are really kind of annoying with that. So let's stop doing that. Um, so it's really, it's, it's constantly learning how to improve. Um, but I've also learned some things about how many things can potentially go wrong. Uh, most of our episodes historically have been audio only. We're just now starting to dabble in a little bit of video. The leap from audio to video is, uh, is a big one. It's a big chasm to cross. Um, and another interview that I was very fortunate to get was Ryan Serhant, who's, um, one of the personalities on million dollar listing New York on Bravo, but he's also legitimately a multi-million dollar New York real estate agent, one of the top real estate agents in New York. And he's published a book and he's a public speaker. And we were able to get in there to talk to him and we went into his office and it was one of the first ones that I was doing with video. And so, you know, brought in our couple video cameras and our microphones and blah, blah, blah. And we set up to record and um, everything kind of went wrong. I still think the episode is there were some great takeaways, but um, the room that we were in had terrible lighting and he was backlit against a window. Oh. And then <laughs> we're video recording with this camera that I brought. And I didn't realize that this camera was going to stop recording after 30 minutes. Mm. Um, there are other cameras that will naturally cut your video into 30 minute segments and it'll keep going. And this one, for some ridiculous reason, decides, nah, he's done after 30 minutes that we're not going to let him record anymore. So, um, we quickly had to pivot and record the audio another way. So it was just one of those kind of comedy of errors, but we rolled with it and, but we learned a ton mm -hmm. about how to prepare and conduct these interviews and how you have to manage the environment and, and manage your gear because you know, you're, you're out, you're dealing with, um, important people who are very busy. And when someone is kind enough to grant you some of their time, uh, I really feel like I owe it to them to make sure that they come away with, with a good experience as well. So right. I think a lot of what I've learned has really been more tactical like that, but those have been the biggest takeaways for yeah. me. Yeah. And there's some great episodes there. I mean, the Gary V, definitely the Ryan one. We, we were connected be, um, by Kristen Luck and you've had her on your show uh, talking about uh, storytelling and really she, you know, obviously she's a diversity champion, but, uh, you know, talks about growth hacking. And you and I have a mutual friend in Brianna Silver from Silver Consulting. And you've had Golden, it was an interesting conversation mm -hmm. from the Silk Initiative on your mm -hmm. show. So yeah, they're really engaging, um, you know, in, in interviews. And I do appreciate that you get people from 
all different uh, backgrounds. In fact, you know, it made me me uh, think of, I liked the one, I don't remember his name, but um, it was the guy who uh, runs Blackbird, which is uh, the fractional CMO company. Oh, yeah, Eric that, Solomon. Oh, yeah, okay, that was really interesting, too. So I, I really appreciate that you get gather people from different perspectives to talk about really, you know, how they see their own world and how they engage with their own consumer, because I do think that those, those things translate. You know, for example, with Golden, well, I'm not trying to bring my product into China, but the way that, you know, the the Silk Initiative team talks about problems and how you you really, you know, untangle a wicked problem in market research is of interest, you know, to me. So um, I'm totally with you about, like, lessons learned, some stuff's technical, but I am amazed, David, that you listen back and edit your own podcast. Where do you find the time? Um, uh, it's a good question. I, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I just make the time. Mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, we're a, we're a relatively small shop, so, uh, I don't have a producer. I, I set it up and record myself. Sometimes I'm in a small studio that I've created in our office and I've got a proper mic and, and I've got the proper software and other times it's run and gun. I always have a microphone, a good quality microphone in my bag. And I got an adapter so that I can plug that microphone into my iPhone. And I've conducted opportunistic interviews using voice memo on my phone because if you think about it, that's the beauty these days is a digital file is a digital file. Mm-hmm. If, if I got a good microphone plugged into my phone recording in voice memo, mm-hmm. I would dare anybody to know the difference when they're listening back to a podcast that versus anything else because I can bring it into software and I can always polish it up a little bit before I put it out. Oh, I totally so, agree. I totally agree. Yeah. I use my Zoom handy recorder. I have an H4N for mm-hmm. those who are listening or yep. interested in that. And you can connect that. And I mean, the quality is amazing. I do those on trade show floors. And yeah. it, it, even with some background noise out there, it is so directional. It's so fantastic. Yep. Yep. Um, well, tell everybody, I, I want people to listen to some of these episodes and uh, where they can follow you. I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to follow David Paul, it's with two L's. So <laughs> while you're trying to find him, it's David, P-A-U-L-L. Um, so Engages is on iTunes, wherever you download. But I know that you also host it mm-hmm. on your site. So tell everybody where they can find you with Dial Smith and Engages. Oh, well, yeah. Well, thank you. So, yeah, you can check out the Engageous website, E-N-G-A-G-I-O-U-S. Sounds like contagious. <laughs> and uh, we do host all of the podcast episodes right there on our site. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Uh, you can also subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. And we also put all of the episodes up on YouTube. So if that's your preferred channel. And then, yeah, over on the Dialsmith side, dialsmith.com, being that these are sister companies, we uh, we have different contents strategies for both of them, but then they end up sharing with one another and adapting for different audiences. So you'll find some different versions in one place versus the other. Uh, and of course, LinkedIn is is where I live day to day, and it's a great channel for us to connect. So whether we want to um, communicate with one another or just follow what each other's doing, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, and I, I try to try to post some good content and add some value there as often as I can. Okay, well, you, me, and Gary V. Now he's big on LinkedIn this year, so we'll connect out there. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. Well, that was a big conversation in our episode, actually, as he took me through his LinkedIn strategy and what he's been doing this year. And I've learned a lot from it. I yeah, mean, I'm yeah. for me, I mean, like I said, selfishly, I learned so much from doing this. Yeah. And I learned a ton from him that I'm trying to deploy and experiment with now, too. I love it. Well, we hope this episode has inspired you out there to experiment and just just try your hand at it. You're not going to get it right every time. But um, David, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you've got a lot of a lot of clients uh, l- looking to you for some uh, to really tackle some big issues. But it's always just a joy to sit down and talk about uh, you know how we think and how we how we can uh, tackle some of the issues. So thank you so much for being on Ponderings from the Perch. It's been our pleasure for sure. It's been really fun. Thanks so much for having me. I trust you enjoyed this episode of Ponderings from the Perch. If you are so inclined, I would absolutely love a great review on iTunes. That's how other people discover what we do here on Ponderings from the Perch. From all of us here at Little Bird Marketing, thanks for listening and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.